Thank you for tuning in to Movie Geeks United's Blue Report. Uh, this episode will be covering the releases during the month of October, so I'm sure we're going to be scary movie-centric during this show. But oh, yeah. uh, we're actually going to start off uh, with a little special treat on a title that uh, is being released by Paramount next month on the occasion of the 100th anniversary of The Sheik. Adam, who did you talk to? Andrea Callas uh, is the head of restoration and archives over at Paramount Pictures, and uh, she was gracious enough to give me 10 minutes of her time uh, in conjunction with the reissue, the uh, the restoration, I should say, of The Sheik, which is going to be celebrating its 100th anniversary in a new Blu-ray set part of the Paramount Presents line that comes out November 2nd, and it's actually out as we take this. So uh, anyway, I got a chance to promote or ask rather about a couple titles I was curious about and ask them about what it takes to get these things restored. So for anybody who's interested, uh, uh, there's a, a short interview with the head of restoration, Andrea Callas. So there you go. Well, I'm super excited about this because uh, I'm a big fan of the work you guys have been doing for uh, the physical media releases that we've been seeing here of late. I mean, you guys have just really uh, stepped up the game in the last couple of years uh, since the pandemic took hold. And uh, it's, I just think it's fantastic, uh, the work you've been doing. And uh, so first well, of we all... we really are lucky in the archive because we've actually had a, um, a preservation restoration program going full bear for about uh, 10 years now. Mm -hmm. um, doing about 100 titles a year, preserving and restoring great Paramount movies. And so the fact that our um, our partners in home media are starting to release them is just fantastic. We couldn't be more thrilled to, uh, you know, have um, some films, including a silent film. Amazing. That's fantastic. Out on the Paramount Presents lab label. So we're really thrilled. Yes, I was just getting to that. And that's the main reason we're speaking with you today. Uh, it's the 100th anniversary of The Sheik, which is uh, starring Rudolph Valentino. That's amazing that 100 years have come and gone <laughs> since that's. Uh, and it was at the uh, the dawn of the, the movie era as we know it. Uh, I was curious about what challenges that uh, you come across when you're restoring something that's 100 years old. Uh, well, the biggest, the biggest challenge for silent films is sadly original negatives for silent films just don't exist. And when you're restoring a film, that's always the element you want because it's the most pristine, it has the most amount of information, the highest quality that you can, you know, when you, because restoration preservation now is all about scanning. And so being able to scan that best quality is always preferable. And the silent era, that just wasn't considered something that was valuable to keep around. Um, uh, you know, prints were made and sometimes, and most of the time prints survived because they were circulating, but the original negatives sadly are gone. So you're always starting with a somewhat compromised image format. Um, the other thing that happens is uh, films, I mean, The Sheep was hugely popular, hugely popular, right? So that always helps uh, the survival of films because there's just more prints that are made. There's more elements out there in the world. Um, but what happened was it, it was re-released during the sound era, but um, it was re-released on a, a, a piece of film that was actually what's called stretch printed. So it would go 24 frames a second. So one of the things we had to do was just de-stretch and get back to the original 21 frames per second, um, because that's when the movement actually looks natural and doesn't look too fast and doesn't look jittery and doesn't look, you know, so it 
really, I think it makes a huge difference when you're watching silent films to see it in the original frame rate, uh, because then it actually looks like humans interacting and not some, you know, back and forth jittery image. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I, I, um, I you know, I, I recently, uh, well, I, I did get to take a look at some of your work on the. I didn't get to watch the entire thing, but I looked at a little bit of it. It looks terrific in so far as what you, you know, considering the age of the, the source material and all of that. So it's uh, it's pretty impressive, and I'm going out of my way to recommend it to people, uh, my listeners on my podcast and uh, I appreciate my that. readers. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, you know, just for the. Uh, uh, the historical value of nothing else. It's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, what's the time frame that it takes you uh, and your team to restore something like this? Uh, just out of curiosity. I mean, one of the most, th- you know, things that takes the longest, frankly, when you're talking about really older titles is actually making sure that you have scoured the earth for the best original material, right? So you want to actually reach out to other archives, sometimes film collectors, uh, might have some material. You want to make sure that you are you you've covered the waterfront, right? You you've looked in every corner to make sure, and that actually mm-hmm. takes probably more time than anything. Um, but then when you have the material, uh, the scanning is relatively quick. Quick. Uh, the, the the work that we did on this title to do the de-stretching and adding the tinting and toning, trying to stabilize the image so it wasn't too jittery. Um, you know, that all probably took about six to eight months, uh, all told. Um, so, you know, that's that's a fairly common uh, workflow is, you know, six months to a year to, from start to finish of a, of a project that takes a lot, uh, some extra care. Right. Yeah. And especially when you're dealing with something, as we said, 100 years old, that's that's definitely going to take some extra care. I can understand that. So. So what's the selection process when you all are, and you and your team, I should say, are uh, going to decide which titles are going to be getting the restoration? Uh, what is there a process for that? Yeah, there is. Uh, we actually, um, more than 10 years ago, before we started our full preservation program, we actually did a real a study of all the, the titles in our collection to look at whether or not we thought they were more or less at risk. So those risk factors could have been, we only have one copy of that film, only one element. It could have been that uh, there had been some deterioration, nitrate or acetate deterioration. Could have been, there could have been, there were a number of factors that we took in consideration. Um, And we even did some additional testing and things like that to fully understand the condition of our entire library. And then we ranked the movies from, you know, all the way from one to 3,000, the whole collection. And now we're just going through them and making sure we're preserving and restoring them. Now, these can change if something comes up. If we discover something that comes in we didn't know about before, you know, something might rise to the top of the list or if we switch things out. I mean, it's not, it's, not, it, it's as perfect a science as it can be because we're sort of doing some statistical guessing here. But, you know, it's worked in that we, you know, we know what to get to first. I knew there had to be some sort of a, because you're just not going to throw darts at a wall and pick out random titles. So I was. Uh, no, I was we wanted to be, we wanted to be, you know, as uh, rigorous about it as we could. Right, exactly. Are there any personal favorites of the projects that you've uh, headed, uh, been in charge of in, in terms of restoring? Is something that gives you like a real sense of personal pride 
uh, the work that you're proud of there? Oh gosh, you mean I have to pick a child? Um, you know, I mean, I think uh, there's been, I mean, obviously when you work for Paramount, you start to learn the history of Paramount. You start to sort of get connected with those things. So we worked on, you know, Sunset Boulevard, I think is one of my favorite projects that we worked on. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. Just an incredible film, incredible history. It stars the Paramount lot. So that's, and I, and I just, every time I even see a clip or read a little bit of the script or see the entire movie of that film, or even see a still, I'm just, I continually, my respect for it goes up. Um, but, you know, we're also, you know, just continuing on, um, you know, we just finished um, Harold and Maud, which is just a wonderful, mm -hmm. wonderful film. And I'm, I'm really, really pleased with the way that came out. Uh, it has such a sort of indie feel to it, but oh, yeah. it's beautifully shot. And I think, you know, when people see it, they'll see how gorgeous it really looks. So I'm excited for people to see that one too. Yeah, I'm very excited to see it. And uh, and I have to tell you that I'm really excited about your upcoming Ragtime, which uh, that's uh, something that I'm super, uh, especially the uh, work print that was an urban legend possibly and then now we see that that's actually going to be included as part of that uh, yes thank you thank you martin scorsese who found it hung on to it um thank you the museum of modern art that saved it and let us uh, include it in this disc it's a really it's a it's it's wonderful when those kinds of artifacts can actually uh, be shared yes that was for me that's uh, one of my favorite films of all time and uh, that to, to know that that, you know, I've heard the stories about the work print for years and years. And then when I saw the press release that uh, I received, well, I, I'll just, you know, just fair warning. It is a work print, right? Of so course. It's not going to be pretty. Uh, right. But it's going to be content wise fascinating, you know? Well, it's, yeah. It's, it's got, uh, it's got all the sort of work print is a work print. It's got scratches and <laughs> other things like that. So just, you know, fair warning, fair warning. But, uh, but. <laughs> But the feature itself looks stunning. Looks stunning. Oh, wow. So you yeah. can, when you're tired of looking at the work, but you can go back and go, ah, oh, this is what it's supposed to look like. <laughs> well, you're, you're doing the Lord's work, as they say. <laughs> uh, well, no, it's, I feel privileged to be able to work with these great films, you know, and, and try to take care of the work of all the creative people, all the filmmakers, all the cinematographers, all the production designers, costume, so many people that um, really gave these create these films their creative best. So it always feels like a privilege to be able to preserve and restore them. Yes, and uh, we, we are so grateful. I, I am, I am uh, fortunate that I, you know, am able to, in, in my role as the home entertainment correspondent for our podcast, we've been around since 2007. So we were one of the first and we have a, a loyal, devoted following who uh, I, I do a Blu-ray roundup once a month. And so I try to uh, I, I just feel fortunate that I'm able to to see these things, uh, you know, uh, often a little early before the general public gets to. And so that's uh, I, I don't take that for granted. But and I so am so grateful for the work that you all do. Uh, there because it's uh, it's it's just great stuff and uh, I, I will before I know time is running short and I need to let you go uh, but I have to uh, uh, just while I have you here a couple of titles that I was curious about uh, Black Sunday is one to turn 45 this year um, 
Paper Moon, of course, we mentioned that earlier, and uh, Day of the Locust. Those are three Paramount titles that I hear a lot of talk about, and I personally love all three of those as well. And was just curious, uh, maybe you can't say I anything. I would say, you know, that. they're on the list and you should watch this space, you know? Okay. Uh, nothing more that I can say but beyond that, but, you know, yeah, no, all things we're familiar with and working on in some way or another. All right, that was Adam talking to Andrea Callis, the uh, head of restoration at Paramount Pictures, talking about the new 100th anniversary commemorative Blu-ray restoration of The Sheik. Uh, all right, so what do we got uh, month of October? Yes, well, we have the first five films in the Halloween series have get, gotten the 4K upgrade from Scream Factory. Uh, new transfers, uh, the first three supervised by Dean Coondy, the uh, esteemed cinematographer of those films and longtime collaborator, collaborator with John Carpenter on a lot of his seminal films and uh, all of the previous extras from previous editions that Scream Factory has released over the years have been retained. I don't think uh, Scream Factory has ever released Halloween before, so um, I think these may be some extras carried over from, from editions that have been put out by other other labels, but the rest of them have been issued by Scream Factory before, and so they're just uh, going to port those over. It's a good stuff there and supposedly good transfers. I know you and I, we... I talked earlier about uh, Halloween being a little bit blurry, maybe, but could be a replication issue on the disc. We're not sure. Yeah, anybody out there that great, buys so. it and checks it out, l let us know if it's just my eyes or if there is a blurriness issue in that original 4K. Yeah. So anyway, and moving along, we have a couple of a pair of titles from the DreamWorks library that Paramount now controls, and that would be What Lies Beneath, the 2000 film directed by Robert Zemeckis in the same calendar year as Castaway, by, by the way. So, he uh, actually, you know, you know how year. he made that? I mean, he made that to give ch uh, Tom Hanks a chance to lose all that weight. In that, in that six to eight months, he just said, oh, I'll make another movie. <laughs> 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 that's how it worked it's amazing being productive yeah, that's what you call productivity at its finest yeah the time machine is the other film uh guy pierce uh, in 2002 the remake uh never saw it myself so i can't comment on it but i uh, didn't want it to taint the fond memories i have of the original but um nevertheless if you were a fan of the time machine from 2002 starring guy pierce so there you go american psycho has been given the 4k upgrade from Lionsgate, with all the previous extras being retained uh the dune has been uh, reissued it previously had a limited edition of 4k from aero video and they've uh, brought that back out again for those who weren't able to get it the last time it was out a couple of months ago david lynch's and, uh, dune yeah, David Lynch is Dune. Let's uh, yeah, let's clarify. I'm glad you did. Uh, the extended cut that a lot of people are fans of is not available because of licensing issues, but uh, there's um, all kinds of goodies here that have been created for this release. Uh, one of them is uh, uh, includes our friend of the show, Mike White, who contributes a commentary here. And um, uh, so there you go. Uh, Dune has been issued by Arrow, and Elvira's Haunted Hills is another Screen Factory release directed by another friend of the show, Sam Irvin, who's been on several times with us. And this is considered the better of the two Elvira films that have been made. The Elvira Mistress of the Dark is the other, but this is uh, what year is that? The one. Two, this is not 2001. Okay. Because Sam yep. makes Hall Hallmark movies. He does now, now yes, yeah. yes, yes. 
Yeah, he does now. So, uh, yeah, he's pretty prolific with that. Yeah. He's uh, really turning them out and uh, quite quite good at what he does, getting them out there efficiently and all that stuff. So Onibaba is a 1964 Japanese film taking place in medieval Japan um, concerning the struggles of an impoverished older woman and her daughter-in-law. And it's directed by... Kaneto Shindo, and this includes a 2000 interview with Shindo on location footage shot by um, uh, shot by the actors and uh, restored high definition transfer and essay book. So Oni Oni Baba uh, has been issued by Criterion. A couple of Warner Archive releases here that I want to mention. Uh, Night Shift from 1982. A uh, huge, huge fan of this. It was so great to see this on Blu-ray. Uh, long overdue. I think the last time they put this out on any disc format, it was a snapper case Warner Brothers release, if that mm. tells you how long mm-hmm. it's been. But, uh, man, did they do a great job of this transfer. It looks great. They created a, a stereo soundtrack here. Uh, sounds good. Um, you know, this movie has a lot of uh, songs and a lot of music. I, I think people tend to forget that the uh, that's what friends are for. The song that was a huge hit for you know Dion Warwick and friends actually made its initial appearance in this film. Uh, Rod Stewart uh, covers it in this film. It was written for the film by oh, wow. Burt Bacharach. Yeah, huh. and I prefer his version to be honest. Um, but because um, I think you it's, prefer uh, the version that didn't raise tens of millions of dollars for AIDS. I well, I love the fact that it raised money. <laughs> that's a good thing. We're you heartless. Bastard. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize well, that. Hey, I haven't seen Night Shift since I was a kid. So. I, oh, you should. It's oh, probably I time to check it out again. I loved Michael Keaton, man. Oh God, it, I la- I had so much fun rewatching this. I cannot tell you how much fun I have with it. It's there's so many great takeaway lines, and yep. Henry Winkler plays it to perfection. He plays the nebbish to just ah, oh, it's great. It's great. It's one of the great yeah. great comedies of. The only thing uh, I really remember distinctly about it is he's at a chalkboard breaking down the word prostitution. <laughs> yes, For some reason, yes. that that seat has always stayed in my mind. Oh, God, yes. That's one of the great ones, yes. And, man, Michael, what, what, Ke- Michael Keaton is heartbreaking and dope sick. The new miniseries that's on Hulu now, mm-hmm. it's it's really powerful performance. God. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. My favorite line that I the only, one of my favorite lines that always stuck with me uh, in Night Shift was the one where um, Richard Belzer plays a pimp. He and his partner are getting ready to uh, beat up Henry Winkler at the last of the film. He says, "You know, we only let our friends get away with this." And he says, "I want to be your friend." Oh God, please let me be your friend. <laughs> right before they get ready to beat the tar out of him, that's hilarious. Oh my God, it's so good, man. And and you know, and the movie has a real heart at its center too. That's the other thing about this. I mean, it's laugh out loud funny, but it's a really it's filled with a lot of yeah, heart. Yeah. And uh, so that was the totally... first that was the first non Corman feature that Ron Howard made. It, yes, yes, yes. I'd like to tell you there's some extras here, but they're not. Uh, there's just a trailer, but the trailer is actually interesting. Uh, it's it's not your typical trailer. So um. Anyway, Night Shift, a big, big recommendation from yours truly. The transfer is impeccable, and the uh, uh, the movie just totally works, and it's uh, it's so worth your your uh, your dollars if you're a uh, a fan of physical media. Tex Avery Screwball Classics Volume Three, another Warner Archive release, uh, contains 19 more cartoons from 1942 to 1957 by the great animator. And uh, what can you say about Tex Avery? I mean, uh, I've 
I just uh, there's I love his stuff, and you know there's so many great ones. I mean, we could go on all night about that, but I'll just say it's it's highly recommended as well. The Hunt for Red October finally made its 4K debut, uh, courtesy of Paramount. Um, so that's another one from 19. I think all no new extras, but just a new upgrade with the transfer. And Dead Again is another Paramount uh, release on Blu-ray. I think maybe for the first time from 1991. And we have uh, Space Jam: A New Legacy. The new Space Jam film has been issued on 4K and Blu-ray and all those formats. And uh, you know, I don't know what to say about that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, if you're a fan um, of the original, I know I was not. I never was. Uh, I always thought it was strange that you would make a film uh, starring the Looney Tunes, where the Looney, T- Looney Tunes are the supporting players in the film. I just uh, that never, I never understood that concept. But anyway, I guess if you grew up at a certain time and you were of a certain age, you'll it's your thing, as they say. Uh, Perfume: The Story of a Murderer from 2006. That's another Paramount release. Uh, on Blu-ray for the first time. And let's see, moving along, the 1972 made-for-television film, uh, The Victim, starring Elizabeth uh, Montgomery from 1972. Kino Lorber release uh, has been issued. Uh, We also have Don Knotts, the five-film collection, which uh, has all the films that Don Knotts made for Universal Studios in the mid-'60s. A lot of these are beloved by fans. Uh, you get the reluctant astronaut and how to frame a fig and the shakiest gun in the West and uh, uh, the ghost of Mr. Chicken. I think that's another one. But anyway, they're all here. All the Universal Don Knotts films have been issued in a five film collection. And um, we have The Stand. Uh, there's a two uh, two uh, two disc set. No, not a two disc set, but a um, anyway, it's both series. I'll get it out eventually. Both. Uh, the 1994 and the 2021, 2020 yeah. to 21. Yeah, not not too good. I wasn't a big fan didn't, of that. Didn't like any of either one of them. Yeah, I, I still think they need to go the big screen route on those. That's my take on it. But anyway, uh, that's a whole other story. A uh, couple more Paramount releases. The Relic from 1997 has been uh, reissued. I think that was previously, the. I think Lionsgate put that out at some point, but anyway. And we have a seven-movie collection, Audrey Hepburn uh, from Paramount. Uh, this has Breakfast at Tiffany's, Funny Face, My Fair Lady, Paris When It Sizzles, Roman Holiday, Sabrina, and War and Peace. All in one lovely set. Hmm. If you're a fan of Audrey Hepburn... There you all, go. All, all under the same studio? Is that? Yeah, I, th- I think a couple of these were not originally under the same studio, um, but I think Paramount wound up with the rights to them through various. I think, uh, for instance, I believe My Fair Lady was a Warner Brothers release, but mm-hmm. somehow it was co financed with another company that was owned by CBS, and then the CBS stuff gets distributed by Paramount now, so that's how they wound up with it. But. Um, Anyway, most of them are Paramount titles, but uh, it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good set. Pretty, pretty good. Mm-hmm. So pretty, yeah, pretty good. I mean, uh, yeah, Paris when it sizzles, instead of charade or something. Yeah, that's a Universal title. That would be uh, 
they would have to go to Universal would have to take care of that one. But I would rather have, yeah, Charade, absolutely. I agree. It's much better. And, of course, two for the road and wait until oh, dark. Sure. Uh, oh, I gosh. Was gonna do wait that. until dark is Paramount, I think. Or is it Warner uh, Brothers? It's Warner Brothers. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. Warner Archive. put it out on Blu-ray years ago. Um, but uh, I love that, and I love uh, two for the road. is fantastic. Uh, Twilight Time, long out of print Blu-ray on that. But that, uh, oh, that's a beautiful movie. Beautiful movie yeah. in so many ways. Uh, yeah, so uh, Scream, Pretty Peggy uh, from 1973 starring Betty Davis and The Screaming Woman with Olivia de Havilland uh, from 1972. Both of these are made for television films. This was at a time when those actresses from the golden age of Hollywood were breaking into television films to try to keep their, I guess, to keep a steady paycheck coming in. And <laughs> yeah. so we had uh, – that's – you know, these are. I think the Screaming Woman was based on a Ray Bradbury story. I want to say I can't remember about Scream Pretty Peggy. I didn't get review copies of either one of these, but um, anyway, um, you know, I've heard they're okay for their type. And uh, I, I spit on your grave was reissued this month. Uh, it's gone. It was going for about a hundred dollars on Blu-ray uh, not too long ago, but then Ronin Flicks has reissued it, so it's. Uh, you can get your copy of I Spit on Your Grave now if you weren't able to get it before and you didn't want to pay the hundred dollars. Zir so, uh, Zir Marky, I think Mir Zarki, something like that. The director mm-hmm. of I Spit on Your Grave. Yeah. That uh, that that re- remains the most surprising interview I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> he was the sweetest man. Who made the most vile movie imaginable? <laughs> but he was incredibly sweet. And then, and after the interview, he fo- followed up with me by email. He says, "My wife loves your voice. She has a crush on you now." <laughs> it was uh, very surprising. We got along like a house on fire, really. You know, they always say that uh, these horror film directors, the horror film directors, are usually the nicest people because they work out all these uh, these dark places in their lives through their art. So, uh, you know, yeah, that's why they say they're so nice, people, <laughs> such nice people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. No doubt. So and I correct myself. It's the uh, the stand. The definitive two series collection is the name of the new set with uh, both versions of the stand. Sorry about that. Mm. Oh, so um, we will move along here. Um, Angel on my shoulder from 1946 starring Paul Mooney is another uh, another Kino release also. Uh, the Awakening from 2011, which stars Rebecca Hall. It's um, about the uh, the ghost a ghost running rampant at a boarding school, and uh, Rebecca Hall is um, eh, she's having a little trouble believing it, and then she finds out that maybe there's some truth to it. I didn't get a chance to to watch it, but it was fairly decently reviewed, I think. Um, anyway, like I said, just now getting a Blu-ray release for the first time ever from 2011. Rebecca Hall, Dominic West. Uh, Melda Staunton, the, the Awakening. So Cohen Media released that one. And um, ooh, let's see, moving right along, we're about to move into the uh, second Tuesday in the month. Yes, October twelfth, we have Inglorious Bastards uh, was released on 4K from Universal. That uh, transfer has been getting really bad reviews. Which they one? Say it just uh, the Inglor- Inglorious Bastards, the 4K. Uh, edition, huh. uh, the Quentin Tarantino film, 2009. It's it got the 4K upgrade supposedly, and they say that it is terrible. Uh, that it just looks like an upscaled Blu-ray. Uh, I don't know what happened there. Um, I didn't get a review copy, so I can't say 
with any degree of certainty, but the word on the street is not good, so I don't know. I would say proceed with caution uh, for anybody who uh, who is curious about this. And so my, my sources tell me that it's uh, not good. So <laughs> anyway, uh, The Green Knight from this year, released back in the summertime, uh, this was an art, this was a film that, uh, you know, drew the art house crowd in droves and a lot of people who flocked to those sorts of things seemed to like it. My son saw it and he told me to stay away at all costs, that I would hate it. And so I have. <laughs> he knows me well. Uh, he said he just absolutely detested it every minute of, of it. And, uh, so I don't know. Um, but then I have some friends who are, who really appreciate art house cinema who loved it. I have a film professor friend who was raving about it. So I don't know where the truth lies. Maybe I'll see it. But anyway, The Green Knight has been issued in 4K for whatever it's worth. Uh, Misery has made the 4K leap courtesy of Kino Borber. Did your son like a ghost story? Uh, I don't think he saw it. I don't think he saw it. Uh, and I wasn't crazy about it either. So, um, I mean, you know. See, I really liked it. Yeah, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it, but I wasn't as crazy. I just wasn't crazy about it. The eating pie for ten minutes—that just, uh, you know, oh. <laughs> that well, was a little you, tough. You should see some of Warhol stuff. Oh yeah, I have. I have. Watch, watch that bum on a park bench for a few hours. Oh yeah, jeez, he was something else. Well, anyway, well, Rob Reiner's Misery has been issued on 4K. I think they've retained a lot of the previous extras for this one. I don't know if there may be a new audio commentary with this. Not really sure, but it's a Kino Lorber release. They're really upping the game with their What happened to Rob Reiner as a a director? Yes, good question. I mean, I watched the last last thing he did, which was – I think it was a WND journalism movie with Woody Harrelson mm-hmm. and God, some a good cast. Even Tommy Lee Jones was in it. And it was just DOA. It was just lifeless. Uh, yeah, didn't he make the LBJ movie or something a couple of years ago? Yeah, I didn't see that. But uh, yeah, he hasn't really been <laughs> had much game for the past years. I know he was on fire for such a long time, and then I think it all started to go downhill when North came out. I don't think there was. I don't know. An American president is delightful. Yeah, was that after? Was that uh, after North? I I don't know. It was was '95, American president. I can't remember when North came out. I was thinking that might have been the following. No, I think North was right before it. Oh, it may have been. You may be right. Because I I think I remember Siskel and Ebert talking about what a great rebound it was. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong. Yeah. I, I can't say, but uh, I just remember you know, how hated that film was. It's just yeah, a, what's, what's the last decent movie he made? Was it Story of Us? Probably so. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I did. I, a lot of people did not. Right. But I responded to that. I really did. I have to admit. And I need to go back and watch that again. That's, I'm glad you brought that up because I, uh, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was very insightful too. and perceptive and – uh, about the you know how relationships are on the brink and all that you know it's good good stuff I enjoyed it yeah it, it wasn't marriage story but it was <laughs> no no <laughs> it wasn't uh, but uh, but still I, I and I thought it was kind of touching there's a montage at the end that I was always stricken mm-hmm. by 
I just remember uh, my own marriage was in um, dire straits at the time, and I was really relating to it on a on a much. So I don't know. It would be interesting to see how I would feel about it now. That that's all in the past for me. So I'm, my reaction may be different. It may have been colored by what was happening in my own life, but uh, I've found that I was responding to it pretty strongly at the time. So, yeah. Uh, Columbia has put out their volume two of their Columbia Classics collection, and these are 4K upgrades of some titles from their library uh, that you can't buy separately. You can only get them in this box set. The first one went out of print rather quickly, and I think it's going for four or $500 now on eBay. Uh, so this is, the, uh, this is the second volume, and I have a feeling it's going to go out of print pretty quickly too. What you get here is Anatomy of a Murder, Oliver, Taxi Driver, Stripes, Sense and Sensibility, the social, and The Social Network. Mm. And I think all of the previous extras from their standard Blu-ray issues – are retained, but it's going. You can get it for around a hundred bucks uh, at those places where you go get those sorts of things. So uh, you know, but I think it's a very limited edition. But it's the Columbia Classics Volume Two, and they say the transfers are pretty spectacular. Hmm. So uh, just want to mention that Legend. I think I mentioned that in a previous issue, but uh, in case I didn't, um, it has been issued on Blu-ray and a new two uh, two cut. Edition, I guess you'd say it has both cuts of the film. I think uh, they had a limited edition before, and it went out of print, and they pressed some more. So anyway, they reissued it again on October 12th. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of extras there, just chock full, uh, and they've done a pretty good restoration of the, uh, the the longer cut of the film that has the Jerry Goldsmith score. So uh, anyway, uh, the uh, surprise hit of 2021, probably the only non-franchise film that uh, was a runaway hit, Free Guy from last summer, mm. uh, starring Ryan Reynolds, has made its way to 4K. Uh, Disney, I think it was a 20th Century Fox title that uh, now is owned by Disney because they own the 20th Century Fox library. I think it was one of the... I don't know if it was put into production before 20th Century Fox uh, was swallowed up, but uh, anyway, it was delayed several times, so who knows. But anyway, Free Guy was a big... Uh, Big hit last summer, and it's been issued. A, Universal has uh, issued Carlito's Way in 4K, and I think uh, you and I can both say we're fans of this film. Uh, classic De Palma, if you ask me. Uh, just great stuff. Saw it opening night. I'll never forget, and I was loved every second of it. Loved, loved, loved it. Yeah. I like it. I mean, I, I like it because of De Palma. Oh, me too. Because yeah. it's... Uh, you know, it's a, it's kind of a very standard movie. It is. If 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 it was helmed by anyone else, it would feel very standard. I would agree, but uh, it has so, such um, the classic uh, De Palma trademarks there, and it's just so well put together, stylized, I guess you'd say, and uh, good stuff. So anyway, High Sierra, the uh, the classic. Bogart. Uh, Right. Bogart film, yes, Ida Lupino, Bogart. That mm. has been uh, issued by Criterion in a new edition. This uh, includes uh, oh, director Ra- Raul Walsh. Is, uh, he did a 1949 remake of High Sierra, believe it or, believe it or not, called Col- Colorado Territory. And uh, there's a new conversation also on Raul Walsh. On here as well, The True Adventures of Raul Walsh, a 2019 documentary, and... Um, we did, on, we did a show on we did a show on Raw Walsh. Uh, oh, years, really? Years ago, yeah. 
forgotten about that. Because there's a uh, there's an author, and I interviewed her again for George Stevens. She's so she wrote a book on Raw Wash and George Stevens. I can't mm-hmm. remember her name, but they're both recommended. And of course, we yeah. did a show on Ida Lupino last year, and she's she's just a a firebrand. I mean, she's she's an amazing amazing, amazing talent. I would agree. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, they've, they've gone all out here. They also have a Bogart documentary from the South Bank show called Bogart Here's Looking at You, Kid. It's included here. And there's a radio adaptation and trailers and video essay and all kinds of goodies if you're a fan of High Sierra. Criterion has opted to put that one out. Oh, and um, so we have a pair of titles from uh, Wes Craven. Scream, for its 25th anniversary, has gotten the 4K upgrade from Paramount. Um, uh, there are a couple of new extras here. Uh, a Bloody Legacy, Scream 25 Years Later. And then there's the archive commentary with Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson, the production feature at Behind the Scenes. Uh, great transfer. I got a chance to look at it. Um, you know, I like Scream. I mean, you know, it's good of its type, the original. Yeah, it's fine. I, I, I recently read that oral history of Scream that's going around. Yeah. About how reticent he was about doing it for the longest time, Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because really, he did he did the deconstructive thing with that last nightmare he did. The oh new, yeah. The new nightmare or whatever it was. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Also well done. I like that. Yeah. It's uh. Yeah. The only problem is you know there's uh you know you got Skeet Ulrich who you know does a good imitation of a sleepwalker I would say uh, as uh, my friend Matt Brunson says. And, uh, and then there's Matthew Lillard, and uh, mm. what, what more can you say about that? Uh, <laughs> I'll leave it right there. Anyway, so we got uh, another Craven title, Deadly Friend, has been issued by Scream Factory. Now, this is a film that I, it's written by Bruce Joel Rubin, who would later uh-huh. go on to greater success with Ghost, of course. I've heard that the original um, uh the original script was quite different from the one that made it to the screen. It was more, um, you know, it, it was uh, more of an emotional film, which, you know, with Ghost and Brainstorm and some of his other stuff, I, I would I would assume that it probably would have a different tone. Uh, but, you know, the concept is that um, he his girlfriend is basically beaten to death and... Uh, so, uh, or is the girlfriend? Is it the girl? Just the girl next door, or the boyfriend girlfriend? I can't girl remember. Girl next but, door, yeah. Yeah, just the girl next door. That's what it is. And so he tries to, uh, uh, you know, push technology and turn her into, uh, bring her back to life through robot technology, and uh, yeah, it takes a bad turn. And <laughs> there's at least one good gruesome death in this film involving uh, Anne best... Ramsey from. Uh, oh. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Th- there's the Anne Ramsey, and it se- seems like. Maybe she started becoming employable again after Throw Mama or something. I don't know if Throw Mama was before or after Deadly Friend. It was the year after this. This might have led to that. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. I don't. Is she the one that's killed by the basketball? It is. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I did watch this a couple of years ago. I mean, it's it's fun, but you you can't. I wouldn't say it was any good, but it's it's one of those pass the time away with a with a you know kind of a bad horror movie. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember seeing it in the theater when it came out, and I had high expe- high expectations for it. I, and I was a little let down. I remember, even as a teenager, I was like, uh, just had in my mind's eye a different movie than what I saw. Uh, so I need to go back and rewatch it. I still haven't gotten around to it yet, but I will. May, may knock it out here in the next couple of days. 
they were late getting it to me. There's been a lot of duplication issues, uh, repli- you know, getting these disks out because of the uh, replication issues, I should say, uh, from these factories. Because there's only one plant in all of North America pumping out these disks, believe it or mm. not. In their infinite wisdom, they closed them all down except one, and now they need them as a revenue stream, and they can't get the stuff out quick enough. So I was late getting this one, but I will get to it. But Deadly Friend has uh, a few new extras. It has uh, a new interview with Christy Swanson, star of the film, uh, writer wow. Bruce Joel Rubin, and composer Charles Bernstein, and special makeup effects artist Lance Anderson. Uh, but I would love to read that original script uh, if I could get my hands on it to see how different it was. And yeah, I wonder, I think I wonder that, how Bruce yeah. Joel Rubin feels about how it turned out. I guess if I don't he's, think he's happy. Well, if he's doing extras, I mean, he wants to. He's not shy about connecting his name to the project. I yeah. He's not running away from it. Right, exactly, yeah. I always heard he wasn't happy about it, but I don't know. Maybe he's changed his mind. People do. Uh, it's possible. So, uh, anyway. I had I mean, a back and forth with him, I think, last year because – was it him? Because he started on the early De Palma movies. What, isn't that uh-huh. him? Bruce Joel Rubin, oh. like Hi Mom and Greetings or something. I, he may have. I can't remember. Because I remember writing him back and forth, and he said he was in the middle of a project and he couldn't talk right now. Mm. Uh, maybe it's somebody else. I'm not sure. I am a, you know, I'm a big, I have a soft spot in my heart. Maybe I shouldn't admit this for his uh, 1993 directorial uh, effort, uh, My Life with Michael Keaton. You were speaking of Michael Keaton earlier. Yeah. And uh, I have a soft spot in my heart to that film. And, you know, I, uh, I went back and rewatched that about a year ago, and I still like it. I still do. Who's the oh, Nicole Kidman's the woman in that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it, I think it has a lot of good stuff going on, uh, and it has a, a great performance uh, by that Hang Ingor. Hangus uh, Nor. He appears in the Hangus. Yeah, Hangus Nor. That's what it was. Yeah, that's how you pronounce his name. Always get those names wrong. Anyway, that's uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, who died tragically the very following year, as we know. Um, you know, Oscar winner who was shot. Do they ever get to the bottom of that? Or is it all yeah, conjecture? Yeah, I, I think, well, I don't know if there's... The story I heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard that he had a locket that had... Uh, his family was killed in um, Cambodia. And so he had a locket with his daughter's picture in it or something that he carried with him, and they wanted the locket, and he refused to give it to them, and they killed him because he wouldn't. Uh, I think that's had something to do with it, I heard. Um I don't know if that's just conjecture, but I had heard that story. That may be true. Yeah, I didn't know if somebody was arrested for it, or because I'd heard that it was. A Seems cr- like they were. Like yeah. some kind of triad that killed him. Like it wasn't a random thing. But yeah. I don't know. But um, anyway, is is an awful thing. I just remember hearing about it and just being shocked. It's totally shocked because I'd just seen him recently in that film. So uh, anyway, more uh, like my I like death. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, and he's the one supposed supposedly trying to give life to uh, yeah to uh, to Michael Keaton in the film. And I heard he was like taking out his trash or something, or I think so. Yeah, you know, so so there's something that happens in my mind anytime I read about or think about Hangas Noor's death. I always Mm -hmm. think of the opening scene in Commando, where the where the guy's taking his trash out. And mm-hmm. whoever, Bill Duke or whatever, the other guy, pull up machine guns and and shoot him down in his driveway. 
Yeah. 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 That, so yeah. It's like the most inappropriate random memory that I have connected to guest doors. <laughs> well, it may not be far off the mark. I don't know. I just, I, I just, it's just, it was just horrible. Uh, I just remember, you know, how terrible uh, when you hear that stuff. You know, good actor. Well, yeah. uh, so, you know, typically we don't talk TV here, but i got to mention that Kolchak the Night Stalker was issued the complete television series by Kino, and they've done the Blu-ray treatment on that. Oh, boy, this is one of those titles that I had clamored for for years and years. I was a huge fan. This was hugely influential to me as a, as a child watching it in the late 70s when it was uh, being uh, rerun as part of the CBS late night program and Oh, my goodness. It was uh, great to get this. Uh, and, again, Mike White has contributed a commentary here. Lord, he's uh, all over the place. He is. He really is. It's got 21 audio commentaries, as, as a matter of fact, for all 20 episodes. And the 14 original TV spots. Uh, there's newly commissioned art. There's a great booklet in here. And there's an interview with David Chase, the creator of The Sopranos, uh, because he was the co-writer of eight Kolchak the Night Stalker episodes. So, anyway... Uh, Colt Jack the Night Stalker finally getting the Blu-ray treatment in this uh, terrific, terrific set. Another highly recommended uh, release this month right there with Night Shift. Couldn't recommend it more. So, um, anyway, Ghost Ship and Bedlam is a uh, two-for-the-price-of-one uh, offering from Warner Archive. Both of these are Val Luton films from 1943 and 1946. I don't think there are any... There may be commentaries on these. I can't, can't remember, but Anyway, uh, these have been issued as part of the Warner Archive collection. Vera Cruz from 1954, starring Gary Cooper and Burt Lancaster. That's a Kino release, as is The Last Sunset with Rock Hudson and Kirk Douglas from 1961. Hound of the Baskervilles with Peter Cook and Dudley Moore from 1978. Um, the Road from 2009 has been reissued by Paramount. Uh, that had been out of print, I think, and so they put that back in print. Is that the Apocalypse movie with uh, yeah, that's the one. Vigo? That's the one. Viggo Mortensen. Very good. Yes. Okay, I'll take obscure movies for 800 Alec. <laughs> uh, Casanova, Last Love is a, uh, oh, an 18th century romantic ravishment from director Benoit Jacot. And uh, it's a French film, of course. Um, pretty well-reviewed uh, 2020 film from Cohen Media Group. They've released this. No new extras on this, but uh, anyway, Casanova, Last Love. It starts uh, stars uh, Vincent Linden and uh, Stacy Martin. And um, So anyway, there's that. Uh, and let's see, moving along to... October 19th, we have a 4K upgrade of The Silence of the Lambs. Uh, it's been issued mul multiple times. Criterion did it, I think, a year or two ago, but uh, this is the first time ever with a 4K release. And I, I think the Criterion-specific uh, extras were not retained for this Kino release, but uh, all the uh, MGM previous extras have been brought back over, I do believe, uh, so Silence of the Lambs getting the 4K treatment from uh, Kino Lorber. And then we have The Incredible Shrinking Man, another one of my highly recommended titles for the month. Uh, the great 1957, excellent, I would say, 1957 Jack Arnold science fiction film about a man who uh, 
uh, is exposed to radioactive mist and starts shrinking and keeps on shrinking. And uh, the special effects are really impressive in this film for a movie that, uh, you know, was made in 1957. And with Blu-ray, you know, a lot of times you can see the seams a little bit more, but uh, not really. Hmm. I was impressed with how they held up. And this has... Uh, it, it's uh, and it's such an intelligent film uh, written by Richard Matheson, uh, you know, based on his novel, and uh, it's just so intelligent. The script is so intelligent. The ending is not typical of most of those '50s movies. Most of those '50s movies end up with everybody, you know, it's a, always a happy ending, and everybody lives happily ever after. And uh, not quite the case in The Incredible Shrinking Man. It has kind of a metaphysical bend to the proceedings at the end of the movie. Uh, it's really Quite, quite astonishing how they uh, chose to do that in the 50s with this film. And um, anyway, it has a new audio commentary featuring Tom Weaver and uh, David Schechter. And there's a new program on film special effects uh, featuring Ben Burt, the sound effects guy from Star Wars films, of course. New conversation between Joe Dante and comedian and writer Dana Gould. And there's All Tour on the Campus. Jack Arnold at Universal, a documentary about uh, the director Jack Arnold and his work at Universal, which also includes Creature from the Black Lagoon and Tarantula, by the way. Mm. And there's an interview from 2016 with Richard Christian Matheson, the son of uh, Richard Matheson, and then an interview from 1983 with Jack Arnold himself, believe it, believe it or not. The Lost Music of The Incredible Shrinking Man is another uh, featurette here, because The Incredible Shrinking Man, the, feature, the film, the music actually was reused in a lot of subsequent universal science fiction films. So anyway, a great release by the folks at Criterion with The Incredible Shrinking Man. Uh, terrific, terrific release. Rat Catcher is who, who another... Who did that? Who did the release? It's Criterion, yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah, they, they did a, did a bang-up job on The Incredible Shrinking Man and uh, would, uh, would highly recommend it. Uh, Rat Catcher, uh, a film by Lynn Ramsey, of course. I think it was her debut. Yes, it was. Her, uh takes place during uh, Scotland's National Garbage Strike of the mid-70s and uh, about the experiences of a poor adolescent boy as he struggles to reconcile his dreams and his guilt uh, with everything that surrounds him. Anyway, uh, this is uh, an acquired taste for sure. Uh, I had not seen it, to be quite honest, and uh, just didn't quite... Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of We Need to Talk About Kevin, so I was expecting you know that kind of Lynn Ramsey film and... This just didn't. Uh, I, I still love. We need to talk about Kevin, but this one didn't quite do the do it for me. Although I know it was huge, terrifically reviewed when it came out. I know. Yeah. Uh, but there's interviews with Ramsey from 2021 and 2002, and an audio interview with one of the actors from the film. Uh, three award-winning short films by Lynn Ramsey here as well, uh, and a new uh, 4K restoration. So, Rat Catcher has been issued by Criterion as well. And uh, the uh, the latest M Night Sh Shyamalan film, Old, has made the uh, do you see that the leap to physical media. I did not. Did you? Mm, no. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm not opposed to it. I just uh, never, never. I wasn't going to pay twenty bucks for an early. You know how they do on streaming the early. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I want to see oh, Card Counter, but I'm 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 going to wait until it's seven bucks instead of twenty. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, so we have um, Mad Love is another one of the Warner Archive collection releases starring Peter Lorre and Colin Clive, mm. uh, who also was in the 
Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. This is a, you know, it was a, an adaptation of the hands of Orlock. Orlack, maybe that's how you pronounce it. Never could, never was sure about that. But, you know, it's about a, a pianist whose hands are crushed. And so Peter Lorre uh, puts on, puts, gives him the hands of uh, a, a, a deceased murderer. And, uh, you know, he gets possessed by the hands. Anyway, it's, um, yeah, directed by Carl Fruland, who was a, you know, he was the cinematographer, I think, maybe on Frankenstein, I believe. I want to say it's an MGM originally released this, but uh, also features Ted Healy. If you remember, Ted Healy was mm. the original uh, founder of the Three Stooges, who died under mysterious circumstances. I heard he got so, poked uh, in the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> that and a whole lot more, probably, from what I hear. But anyway, uh, yeah, anyway, it's uh, anyway. So we have Mad Love starring Peter Lorre. Uh, Demons 1 and 2 have been issued in 4K on, by Synapse Films. So uh, that's another another release from them. Uh, they uh, put out a lot of horror titles, and we see a lot of their stuff on a regular basis. Let's see what else we have here. We have uh, The Little Rascals Volume 3, the third in the uh, restorations of their films uh, they're up to the uh, the early 1930s I think they've been doing uh, about 10, 10 shorts per release I think but this is a classic flicks who is doing the uh, restoration work on this and a GoFundMe campaign that and that's how they uh, that's how they got this funded and they've been putting them out there and uh, they're really I got the first volume and it's really terrific work they're doing on these little rascals original hour gang shorts uh, it's pretty pretty amazing. So, uh, anyway, we have, let's see, a couple other things here. Uh, let's see, Casual Sex has been issued uh, from 1988. Uh, this was starring Leah Thompson, of course. This is, uh, right. I think, uh, wasn't Andrew Dice Clay in that, I believe? This was a uh, yeah, Mill Creek so. release. Yeah. Mill Creek released this, as, uh, and they also released Renegades from 1989. Those are two universal titles that they had gotten the the rights to renegades lou diamond phillips yeah it's the one yes and splitting airs from 1993 that's another one of their titles and call the conqueror from 1997 boy those are interesting uh diverse bunch of universal titles i would say that mill creek has opted to issue so um Let's see, we have the Yokai Monsters Collection, a trilogy of Japanese monster movies inspired by ancient folklore. This has been issued in one big set by Arrow. The films included are 100 Monsters, Spook Warfare, and Along with Ghosts, and the extras include interviews, booklet, comment, booklet commentaries, and documentaries. So uh, it's an Arrow video release. And let's see, we're moving right along. Corridor of Mirrors is an, uh, from 1948. That is a uh, a British uh, British thriller, and it's uh, Eric Portman plays an artist obsessed with the past, and he surrounds himself with Renaissance artwork, infatuated with the notion that he and his lover are reincarnations of lovers in a centuries-old painting. 1948 thriller, uh, like I said, British and. Um, uh, let's see, directed by Terrence Young, actually. I think it was his uh, debut. Terrence Young would go on to make uh, Wait Until Dark that we just referenced early and he, uh, earlier, and he also directed the first two James Bond films. So, uh, Or maybe the first three, I can't remember. He might have done Goldfinger as well. 
but I know he did the first two for sure. Hmm. So anyway, a change of mirror, a quarter of mirrors rather. That's um, uh, a release from Cohen Media Group. We also have Change of Habit, final film for, uh, featuring Elvis Presley. And uh, this is a Kino release. This is the one where he falls in love with the uh, the nun, played by Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> Change of Habit, get it? <laughs> right. Features a new uh, audio commentary. But uh, yeah, this was the film that supposedly... It was the break. It was the uh, straw that broke the proverbial camel's back when Elvis said, "No more movies after this." So, uh, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, come September is another Kino release that stars Rock Hudson and Gina Lola Brigida and Sandra D and Bobby Darren. And this is directed by Robert Mulligan. It's a comedy, like I said, 1961. Uh, new audio commentary on that as well. And let's see, just getting down to, uh, we're down to October 26th. And uh, a couple of titles uh, here that we'll mention, uh, Coraline and Paranorman. These are two of the uh, films from the uh, Like Hay, I guess, Like High, I guess you'd say, studios, animation studios. Anyway, uh, Coraline, very well reviewed when it came out in 2009, and... um, Directed by Henry Selleck, the director of Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach. And um, then Paranorman was kind of a, a follow-up to that, although it was to, it's a different director. On this one, we had uh, Chris Butler and Sam Fell directed that one. Uh, like I said, these uh, – I know, uh, like I said, Coraline's pretty good. Paranorman, I thought, was okay, but uh, I prefer the, the earlier film. Anyway, both of them have uh, new uh, – Featurettes on the uh, the puppets that were used in both films, uh, character concept art, behind-the-scenes photo galleries, audio commentaries, uh, making-ofs, deleted scenes, storyboards. So uh, Coraline and Paranorman both are Shout Factory releases. And then we have Steel Dawn starring Patrick Swayze from 1987. That has uh, been issued as part of the Vestron Collectors series from Lionsgate. With some new extras. Uh, Nothing But Trouble, the uh, 1991 oh. film starring Chevy Chase, <laughs> Dan Aykroyd, Demi Moore, and uh, John Candy. This, what, uh, what an aptly named movie. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I'll never forget seeing this open, opening weekend. And there were two old ladies standing in front of the, They were walking out as I was walking in, and they said, Boy, if Chevy Chase keeps making films like that, they're, they're not going to let him make movies anymore. <laughs> Some ladies said, these two ladies said that they hated it. And I've never forgotten that, and it was pretty bad. Um, supposedly, based on an incident, uh, Dan Aykroyd was traveling, I think, from Atlanta, Georgia to uh, his home in, I want to say, Connecticut. And he was stopped for speeding, uh, actually in the town where I live right now. And I think that it was inspired by that incident, I was told. So I don't know. Mm. Anyway, he wrote and directed the film. and I know he's your favorite anyway. So uh. Maybe you shouldn't <laughs> draw inspiration from anything. Like, you know, just getting, <laughs> getting pulled over for speeding. Oh, God, I got a movie idea. Maybe you should <laughs> rethink that whole pull from, you know, write what you know thing. <laughs> There are some new extras here. I think some new. Uh, I think uh, Ackroyd actually participated in the extras on this new uh, Shout Select 
part of the Shout Select line of titles. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. If nothing but trouble is your uh, is your cup of tea, there you go. And we have uh, the Suicide Squad, the second version of Suicide Squad, to be uh, released to theaters in five in less than five years. Uh, this one was the uh, the one from last summer, 2021. Uh, it's been issued 4K, Blu-ray. Um, uh, the reviews said that it wasn't much better than the other one. And the other one I did see, and it was horrible, so I skipped this one. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, but Anyway, it's out there if you're uh, interested. Deep Red has been issued in 4K. Dario Argento's Deep Red Arrow has uh, issued this in a brand-new 4K set with uh, both cuts of the film, the American one and the uh, original Italian, and all their previous extras have been ported over. And this is, uh, if you're a fan of Deep Red, or Profundo Russo is how is uh, the original Italian title, I believe. Uh, Fritz the Cat has been issued by Kino Lorber, um, from 1972, uh, based on the, uh, the cartoons by Robert Crumb. This was, uh, an X, I think maybe the first X-rated cartoon to be released, uh, theatrically. I'm not sure. Probably. Anyway, I'm a fan of it. Yeah. I, I think it's quite funny and subversive and, uh, you know, I enjoyed it years ago. I haven't seen it in a while. Uh, no review copy of this one for me, but, um, uh, I always enjoyed it years ago. And the sequel, Nine Lives of Fritz the Cat has also been released. Uh, the Incredible Hulk, the complete television series, has been issued from Universal, the original Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno series, and a big, massive box set. And uh, On the Rocks, the Sofia Coppola film from last year, has finally made it to disc as well. Um, let's see. Children of the Damned is a Warner Archive release. This was the sequel to Village of the Damned, the original 1960 film, and Instead of having uh, multitudes of children, you only have six in this one, and they all have the the six gifted children and posing a threat to the world in this one as they did in the original. Uh, you have a commentary by the film screenwriter, screenwriter John Briley and the theatrical trailer, and uh, uh, not quite as good as the original. There's some interesting ideas here, but uh, it looks like it may, may have been hampered by a lower budget. But the, uh, the original... Uh, Children of the Damned, A uh, Village of the Damned is better than this one, but Children of the Damned is worth a look, I guess. Uh, great transfer from the good folks at Warner Archive. Uh, Eye of the Devil, which was one of the first films to star uh, Sharon Tate. And this is uh, directed by J. Lee Thompson. This is from 1966. Also it's stars Eye of the Devil? Eye of the Devil, I thought yes. it was Mark of the Devil. Eye of the Devil. Uh, at least that's the uh, the edition they've released here. I'm holding it in my hand at the moment, and it does say Eye of the Devil. Maybe it was originally released uh, as uh, well, Hang on. There is a Mark of the Devil. It's a... Maybe... Yeah, it's, there a, diff- is, it's yes. a different one. That's a different one. Okay. I did see... I Have you ever seen it? I haven't. I still haven't gotten to it. Yeah, I mean, she plays... She plays uh, someone evil in the movie. She's, she's not the... Uh, Sharon Tate does. Yeah, I know yeah. it was uh, it was mentioned several times in the Sharon Tate and the Manson Murders book that you had recommended to it's, me, which by the way is fantastic. Yeah, it's and, a good book, and she's 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 good in it. Who's the female Niven's wife? The one that Sharon Tate kills, I think, in the movie. Uh, big actress. Donald Pleasance is in it. Uh, oh, let's see. Uh, oh, let me see. Is it um, Deborah Carr? Yes. Yes. Let's see, we ha- have uh, a Severin release of the uh, the 1966 film An Angel for Satan, starring Barbara Steele. It's 
So we have that. It's one of their uh, their issues. It's a it comes in a nice little slip case, and it comes with some. Um, this is an Italian thriller, Italian Gothic thriller, as I said, starring uh, Barbara Steele. And it comes with a uh, new audio commentary with uh, Barbara Steele and horror film historian David DelVal. Audio commentary with Kat Ellinger and uh, Devil Statue, an interview with the actor uh, Basile Karras. And uh, Barbara and her furs, a 1967 short film by Pierre Andre. So anyway, uh, the horror film An Angel for Satan from Severn Films has been issued. Another Severn Films release is Beyond Darkness, a 1990 thriller oh, directed by the same guy who brought us Troll 2, Claudio Fragasso. <laughs> and it includes a uh, special... Uh, one of the special features on this is the soundtrack CD you get as a bonus. Uh, you also get an uh, interview with the co-writer and director and the uh, interview with the uh, uh, one of the actors, David Brandon. But it's, um, you know, it's a satanic child killer executed and transforms the new home of a young reverend and his family into a portal of hell. So, uh, you know, if you're a fan of Troll 2, maybe this is your cup of tea, Beyond Darkness, uh, from Severin Films. <laughs> and... Uh, so one of the most acclaimed music documentaries of all time, Say Amen, Somebody, uh, considered to be a masterpiece from director George T. Nirenberg, a joyous, funny, deeply emotional celebration of Afri African-American culture featuring the father of gospel, Thomas Dorsey, mother Willie Mae Ford-Smith, and uh, also performances by the Barrett sisters and the O'Neill twins and uh, Zella Jackson Price. This was very well reviewed by Roger Ebert at the time it was released. Um, he uh, his actual quote was one of the most joyful movies I have ever seen. This is a 1982 film and uh, it's been very hard to find until now. It's been remastered here, and you also get never before seen outtakes of the Barrett sisters, audio commentary by the director, new interview with uh, one of the uh, interview subjects in the film, and. Um, Audio outtakes as well, and the trailer. So uh, say amen, somebody from Kino Lorber. Mm. It's been issued. And then we have a couple more titles here, and we'll be done. We have uh, uh, the 1960 film Devi has been issued, D-E-V-I. That's from uh, Criterion. It's um, one of them. Uh, one of the titles that I did not get a uh, review copy of so i can't say too much about it but it has a new transfer and new extras um dinner at eight is a warner archive release this was similar to grand hotel i think and it was i believe it was made the following year it has an all-star cast with john barrymore and uh june marlowe and uh all I, just tons of people who were big at the time and it's uh, about a dinner party and there's all kinds of uh, drama going on there Dinner at 8, uh, Star Trek the Complete Original Series has been issued by C CBS DVD and a new uh, steel, steel book with uh, the previous uh, extras being retained. And so uh, that's a CBS DVD Paramount release. And then we have uh, The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper starring Treat Williams, oh. uh, which is uh, a dramatization of what may or may not have happened with that money that uh, D.B. Cooper supposedly made off with. He uh, jumped from the plane in 1971. This is uh, 
Yeah, so uh, Kino release on this one. And, uh, had, what, what do you? What year is D.B. Cooper? Uh, 81 is the film. Yeah, so he had two produced screenplays that year. <laughs> he did. The, the same guy that wrote Cutter's Way wrote D.B. Cooper. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, wow. I forget his name. Okay. Well, uh, just a couple more things here. We got uh, Mary Stevens, M.D., is a Warner Archive release from uh, 1933, and... Um, the Devil in the Deep from 1932 is a Kino release, as is Torch Singer from 1933, and uh, The Cheat, starring Tallulah Bankhead from 1931. Those are all Kino releases, and I think that pretty much covers the month of October. I think we've pretty much uh, covered it. I don't think I've missed anything that I can tell. Uh, the Shrinking Man, Night Shift, and Cold Check made my month, if nothing else. 